everyone. Welcome back to the Listen For Real podcast. I'm Jennifer Brown. So glad you are here. We have a really special episode today. This is different. It takes It's going to take me a minute or two to just prep you because this conversation we are having today on immigration actually was recorded two years ago. It was recorded with this podcast in mind pre-pandemic. And then of course, things moved and changed, but I have never forgotten this conversation that I had with Jawad, with Carrie and with Vanessa. And it has changed me. It, I am better for having this conversation and more importantly for knowing these human beings. And we held this conversation at World Relief offices in the Sacramento area. And we wanted to talk about immigration from the standpoint of understanding that this topic is one that people have grown numb to and is one where we throw words around really easily. We've kind of gotten numb to the term immigrant, illegal immigrant, asylum seeker, refugee, a special immigration visa status holder, you name it. We've gotten numb to these and they've been reduced these terms to sound bites, to uh, terms we can throw around for political gain or to take a side and decide where we stand and who our enemy is, et cetera. And I think that can be super dangerous. And I know for me, you will hear in this interview me multiple, multiple times say, some people say, some people believe, they believe, they do this. And I need you to understand that I have said all of the things I am saying they have said or people say. And I'm not proud of that, to be completely truthful with you. I'm not proud of the ignorant position I took because I didn't know anything different. Again, I always say this podcast is about being the antidote to the echo chamber. My echo chamber is created by me having my lived experiences and my personal beliefs and then surrounding myself with people and institutions that believe in the same way. So they've never had to stretch. They've never had to change. And I am one of those people that thought sadly, that I knew everything there was to know on this topic. And if I just parroted what my favorite news source at the time said, or what I heard my favorite pundits say, that I was in the know and I was in the right. And it is not true. So I really implore you to listen deeply to the conversation we are about to have and really deeply take in these people, these stories. These are human beings. These are not just words like immigrant, illegal, refugee, asylum seeker. These are people with dreams and hopes and desires and love and um, a longing for community who in this case, uh, in Jawad's case, have come here and have made this a better community that I want to live in. And it's remarkable, his story and his service with our U.S. forces. There is just so much here to unpack. And I hope you'll listen in and gain something as I did. Thanks for joining us.
um, Vanessa, would you talk a little bit about the terms? Because I think people, <laughs> I think people take terms like refugee, immigrant, illegal immigrant, emigration, mm-hmm. all of those things. I, I think they. I don't think people understand even what some of those terms really mean. So would you kind of break down the the commonly misunderstood terms? See, my audience is cool. They know that she's giving me a face like, I didn't see this on our list. She can answer these questions accurately. Well, what what do you see as the most commonly misunderstood terms and uh, and mindsets around this this issue and this? Yes. I think we are living in a time where there's a lot of concern around borders mm. and to open of borders. And so anybody new coming to America is maybe coming. It's easy to get here. They're coming in mass. We need to uh, be more mindful of who who is allowed in and not in and it's been illuminating for me to learn for example a refugee when we think of someone who's fleeing circumstances and probably relatively quickly leaves um, their country and is somewhere new Mm -hmm. but the reality is a refugee is often for example in a camp for up to at least seven years that blew my mind. So that is a perfect example of something I had no idea. We picture what we get on sound bites and in the news because that's the pictures we've been given. And that somebody's just sort of packing their bags and fleeing and deciding on a weekend they're going to pop over our border. Yes. And does that drive you a little crazy that that's the perception? And it it is not even close to capturing the experience of the people who've come here, especially under duress. They're not doing this flippantly or nonchalantly by yes. any stretch. Yes. It is a difficult decision for someone to decide to pick up their lives and leave, whether they have minutes to make that decision or months. Um, right. For me, I'm, I'm so narrative driven. I think of uh, stories. Uh, Please. I want to tell you about individuals yeah. and how this has been made real for me. Before I was in the Sacramento office, Please. I lived in Nashville and we were, my husband and I were connected to World Relief Nashville office. We were partnered with a family from Congo and there were three siblings and the youngest, Paul, had spent a decade of his life in a camp. And he was coming to America to start high school at 17, having really only fled violence and then lived in a camp for 10 years. So when there's kind of talk of we can't let more people in or who are these people? Are they dangerous? A refugee is a very vulnerable person, someone that has had to make a difficult decision I think of our clients here, those who are fleeing violence, um, having served with our troops in Afghanistan, and they have a little bit of a different status. But when it becomes that bombs are continuing to go off in front of your wife's workplace every day, and you've got to make that difficult decision, do I stay here and raise my family 
in a place that is no longer safe? Or do I come to America? I would just challenge people to think about that for themselves. Mm-hmm. What would you do? I'll give you one more story again. I don't know that I'm best with terms, but I, I this is what has drawn me to the work. Um, I think of a woman named Irina who was uh, experienced a lot of racism in her life. She was ethnically Korean and she lived in Ukraine. She then married a man from China and he was a Bible scholar and he was um, facing pretty constant religious persecution, police coming to arrest him. They could not live in peace. They tried to go back to Ukraine. They could not live there in peace either because of government corruption. And so they had to make the difficult decision of where can we go to start our lives over? And so they came to the United States-Mexico border. They walked up and asked for asylum because that was their best option. And they were sent to detention centers Mm -hmm. for months where then they spent all of their savings on legal counsel to eventually gain status. But so, yes, someone could hear that story and say someone is coming over and not the right way. But again, if thousands of people, however they're coming, are needing to leave a situation, I just I want people to hear those stories. Agreed. And again, put yourself in that position. And what would you do? Yeah, try to. I, I was as you were talking, I was trying to imagine leaving everything I know culturally, leaving my entire extended family, leaving the home I worked hard to pay for i mean think about it people mm-hmm. are have, have are leaving their established careers their homes etc and leaving with what they can carry yes so i'm picturing the things i think about like i mean you guys think about your family photo albums all the things we take for granted that we think are so meaningful you think of as we enter a holiday season here um, when this is being recorded <laughs> Think of the things you go, oh, this is so meaningful to me. We have these traditions and that you're you're making the difficult choice to step away from that because you just want to live in some modicum of peace and safety or you want your kids not to be in fear or that you worry if you're going to come together at the end of the day for dinner as a family. I mean, these are real things. And I do think we have grown. We're totally numb. We have no sense of that. You have a quote out when I walked in, and it's about we're so removed from any kind of struggle in this country that we don't honestly know what that's like. And if anything, it strikes me that by having a robust immigrant population, that's how our country was founded. That's how it it should always be. We are better because and richer because we don't all just easily grow numb and rest on our laurels and have this comfortable little society. We are a much richer, better society because of a large proportion of this society is made up by new Americans who have immigrated from other places and brought something different to the to the mix. And, and so I'm really glad you said that because the other thing, one of the myths that I, I went over in my mind, all the assumptions and judgments people make around the topic of immigration. And one of them is, oh, immigrants come to the U.S. They're gaming the system. 
Okay, so I am sure that just must, I can see by your face <laughs> how frustrating that is for you guys to hear, right? That that, it couldn't be further from the truth. So we just, we just talk about that very plainly. Sure, that's a, that is quite the difficult game to play. I think there would be easier <laughs> ways to not have to start your whole life over. Right. I would say. Yeah. Our clients, I'm so impressed by their resilience again I just think of stories I think of a woman named Ara who came um, single mom from Afghanistan spent years uh, first struggling in Turkey to be away from um, it's just not a good marriage a difficult situation and finally got refugee status and came to America but again not a lot of English but ambition to do something for her son and for herself and so has aspirations to learn English and open her own daycare center for mm -hmm. example and coming to us and we're able to then partner with other organizations to make that real for her and she said that's what you know so many of women in this community want for example as Carrie mentioned our education initiatives for women that's just opened my eyes. Women with dreams, women who grew up under Taliban rule and didn't get to go to school. Right. It wasn't allowed. Um, but, for example, a woman named Cobra wanted to be a newscaster. And she, you meet her and she just lights up a room and <sighs> there's a vivaciousness to her and a incredible intelligence and wit. And so she but came to America and tried to take a typical... English class having no literacy in her own language but that desire I just think about take a step back not even as dire a circumstance do I put myself in uncomfortable situations where I want to learn a new language or learn a new skill and I have the luxury because I'm comfortable here yes. and so I just think about the really basic little things that you give up you come to a new place you want to make a home for your family um, yeah, I, I think these are new Americans that want to make us stronger and better. And as you said, it, it's in our DNA it as is. a nation and we learn from what. So Carrie, what are you thinking on this? Well, Jennifer, as I listen to Vanessa, uh, speak about stories, uh, the thing that comes back to me every time, uh, uh, I want to highlight our staff. I want to highlight a little bit of each individual story, including my own of why we're here. Yeah, please. Is uh, a large percentage of our staff are former participants in the program. And other people that are on our staff uh, came as a volunteer and ended up leaving careers. Uh, and that was my story is I started as a volunteer and I left a career to move into nonprofit. And the question becomes, why would someone do that? And the answer is what uh, Vanessa has just been going through. their stories and faces. Because you asked about terms. And the terms can be, the terms are very important. And it's very complicated. And it actually takes a long time to understand the difference between a refugee, an asylum seeker, right. the overall uh, term immigrant, and, and those are important because they describe the path that someone took 
to get to the United States. There's a common element, though, and the common element of why anyone moves anywhere is that there is some reason either pulling or pushing to make someone do those difficult things. Mm -hmm. So when I hear those stories, when I've experienced them myself, the important thing that I would want to tell the world, that I would want to tell your audience is learning how to take those terms and move them into a face and someone that you know yes. is really part of the role that we do uh, here at World Relief is bringing people together. Because the reason we're numb, and, and I would completely agree that in today's world we've become not only numb to what is happening in immigration as all paths, every door that I just mentioned is being lowered and has been in the news for the last three to four years. And so while things happen that shrink it further, it's become tired news. And what makes it not tired news are those faces and yep. those names and the empathy of what would I do mm -hmm. if I were in that position? Yeah. And so that's what you ask about the, the terms. The terms are important, but the faces and the stories are even more important. Well, and before we have Jawad talk and kind of share his perspective on this and his experience, I want to I want to blow up one more, um, dispel one more myth or one more mis misconception. You will hear people say, "Well, we need to take care of our own." Okay, we need to take care of our own. We don't have enough. We we barely are struggling to educate our own. They use that term a lot. Um, or our own veterans, or our own, we don't have enough funding. And I, I don't think that's necessarily true at all. I think there are definitely ways to take care of everyone. But will you talk about that? And this, I know it goes beyond budgets and states and federal dollars and state and, and entitlement programs. I, I, I want to look broader than that. So would you take that one and kind of blow that up and dispel all the misconceptions around that? Sure. I know I'm uh, handing you loaded stuff, but I just well, feel like this is the stuff people are totally just resting on. They take a position on something that involves human beings and and feel righteous in saying, oh, well, we have to be fiscally responsible and we have to be good stewards and, of our government resource, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. Generally, when people take those positions about a group of people and not an individual, it, it's for two reasons, and one of them is – economic. We, we can't afford it. The other is safety. Both of those are myths, and, and, and we can take those, but the economic one especially, there's no question that when someone new who is vulnerable comes into the U.S., there are social services that uh, they're able to take advantage of that is part of our great country is to help people pull themselves up the ladder. That's what those services are there for. They're temporary, and uh, they are an important step in uh, the United States of being able to make yourself self-sufficient. However, long-term, it is well-documented that immigrants bring more to the economy than they ever pull out of the economy. So while there are some short-term costs, the long-term benefits, in some ways you could say 
both from a workforce standpoint, both from a diversity standpoint, we can't afford not to take immigrants. I don't believe that's the reason why uh, we do what we do. Uh, I think we do what we do for a humanitarian reason and for the people being there. However, economics is not a reason not to. And even if it was a little bit, I think it would be worth it but it's not. And you're not just saying, okay, so again, I'm going to take another typical soundbite. What you're not saying is, oh, they're coming because they're willing to do the work Americans won't do. You're not saying that only. And I want to make clear that there's so much more to what they bring to our economy, our culture, et cetera. And I want to make clear, I don't think that's what you're saying. And if it is what you're saying, go ahead and say, yeah, Jen, you have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) No, that's absolutely not what I'm saying. Uh, Because in a macro economy, there are taxes that are paid, there's consumption, and what someone invests in the economy that builds is actually the value of how we look at, uh, you know, economic impact. And so people that are coming are uh, the the number uh, or the percentage, rather, of immigrant-started businesses and entrepreneurs are much higher than native entrepreneurs. So the economic engine that is driving is far more driven by uh, mm-hmm. immigrant-started businesses that end up employing people than native-started businesses. And so it, it's part of what is driving that economy. Awesome. Yeah, add in. Uh, I just found this helpful, a little bit uh, maybe trite, but from our senior leadership, kind of putting this in perspective for you, because I think there's a short-sightedness and an easy straw man argument when we say somebody is coming over and is uh, causing a drain to our resources and we already have issues going on. And he said, you know, my, my children are 5 and 10, and they're probably going to cause a drain for the next 10, 15 years on resources before they start giving back. So if we want to use that example. Oh, I love that example. Somebody coming over, uh, you know, to remind, I guess, your listeners, our our clients are coming over, and within, is it six months or help me out, they are starting to pay back their travel loans. Wow. So it's not a free ticket to yeah. America. It's a simple thing, but... The emphasis is on self-sufficiency, and it is providing necessary government services, not so that then they exist on those, but so they can get that start that a lot of us, we have already from living here and being enmeshed in the systems and being Americans yes. and knowing how to navigate everything, and they do not, so they need that help. And again, we can all think of times when we have needed help in different whatever we've got going on in our life, starting something over in a much smaller scale. So thinking about starting your life over. Yeah. Our senior leadership also points out, yes, as Carrie said, immigrant started businesses, you know, thank you, Google. Yeah. What you just said is really important that to think that somebody's coming over here for the to kind of freeload and like in the first six months, no, we're already paying back. These are people who are hard workers who mm-hmm. have dignity, who have integrity, who are going, 
I wouldn't want that free handout. Yes. I think that's another misunderstanding and misconception is that people think, oh, they're coming here for all the free stuff. Yes. Um, that's silly. And I'm thanking you for really making that clear. And so uh, Jawad is talented and amazing and is one of these people who brings so much not only to this conversation, but to our community, to World Relief, to um, to to our country. I, I just feel so lucky that we're getting to have this conversation. So would you kind of introduce him? And um... Yes. Jawad came to our office in 2017. He was working with our troops in Afghanistan on front lines, um, serving right alongside Americans. Uh, I don't want to give away too many parts of his story, but being a translator and so came through our office and ended up joining us on staff. Were you first a caseworker? You can kind of. Yeah. 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 Um, Because Jawad understands the experiences of our clients um, better than firsthand, better than we can. Um, But Jawad is incredibly driven. and dynamic and so we quickly shifted from yes he's offering those basic needs and assistant to our clients in that initial kind of 90 days like Carrie talked about those uh, services um, to we want to actually know how to serve the community and Jawad is very much a community organizer so he started um, a program for us of um, recruiting Afghan ambassadors so we can know what the community wants and how we can actually serve them and help them thrive and help them make Sacramento their new home. Did want to highlight last year a incredible event he and the ambassadors put on was a community iftar and it was an interfaith iftar where we were able to invite church partners and then our Afghan neighbors were serving them and putting this on and because that's what Jawad is about is bringing together the two communities. And that is in our DNA as an organization, our mission statement, uh, mutual transformation. So Jawad can tell his story much better than I can, but he's invaluable to our staff because again, he has been literally on the front lines, injured in the line of duty, serving Americans. And then here moving from, receiving that assistance to now wanting to pay it forward and as Carrie said join our staff and continue to help others and see them thrive not to mention he's a full-time student new new father of two of twins so Ah, thank you so we all have the same amount of hours in the day as Jawad just reminding listeners what are we what are we getting done Uh, thank talk you, about your story, yeah. I want <laughs> to hear you. about thank this you for, life you lead. Thank you for uh, this great chance. So I'm able to share my story. So I want to clarify about mm-hmm. so about the two kind of what I think a refugee. So there's a one. Yes, of course. Nationally, we we know refugee for those people who are leaving the country. They are flown to another country. Staying for a while, like as Vanessa, she mentioned, seven or eight years to get the status mm-hmm. to travel another country. That's the truest uh, refugee. So uh, my family, they had the same situation in, in 1989. So when I was born, so my family, they had to leave my country. 
because of the treatment and we were in Iran country. So the place I was uh, raised and I thought I'm from that country mm-hmm. uh, because I was a kid. I didn't know that. So, But the time uh, coming, so I realized it. So no, I'm not from this country and I'm kind of different, but because my neighborhood, they were not really appreciated us as a refugee because we just flew that country as undocumented people. And finally, so after uh, years and years, so my father, so he was really uh, mad So because we were facing the problems and we were not able to go to a school as a, uh, other kids. Oh. And uh, for the good thing has happened in my country in 2001, I believe. So United States pushed out the Taliban from Afghanistan and my father, he says, oh, that's a great chance. Let's go back to Afghanistan. I want you guys, like, as a kid, I want, as a father, I want you to have a, a good future. I don't want you work here as undocumented refugee and you're not able to go to a school. And you just, you just be a farmer. So I appreciate it. And my father, what he had a dream with uh, for, for me and for my sibling. So we finally came back to Afghanistan in 2003. So in that time, it was really hard, and we had not really a uh, facility we, we had in Iran country. And so it was really challenging for my family about financially. So uh, I was not able to go to school back in Afghanistan either because I thought it's not a good time. Just I leave my father alone to just he works and the rest people they are going to, me and my sibling, going to school. And then I started working the daytime and... I was going to school at night time. So it was hard for me, but I had a goal. I had a hope. It was good. And I had a good feeling like I was in my country. Yeah. How so, old were you at that point? Uh, I believe maybe six, 15 or 16. Okay. So like I was kind of young. But most of your primary years growing up were in Iran. Yes. You go back to Afghanistan. Taliban's been driven out. It's a safer place to go. Yes. So you go home to Afghanistan. Yes. So okay. we, when we but you can't go to school. Okay. <laughs> yes. So when you are telling, so go home. Yes. Con- Afghanistan is my own country and homeland. Yeah. But when we back in Afghanistan, we had not any home. We had to live on tent. Yeah. We had to build our own ho- house. Wow. So that's why I'm telling. So it was really hard for me and my family to build, like a house. We could live in that uh, house. So. It was hard and challenging. So, and I, I even to be honest, I didn't know I'm coming to United States. So, once the time comes, like in 2007, sorry, 2008. So, one of my best friends, so he had been in suicide attacks in city oh. in Kabul, uh-huh. and I thought, so this is not good, right? And why the people they are killing the innocent people and attacking innocent people in city? So, I decided to go support the u.s troops in afghanistan as a i had a, a skills i knew the language yes and i decided to go and my my family they were not allowing me because they thought it's dangerous for me yes absolutely it was dangerous because i had to go to fighting i had to go with the front line with the the combat with the, uh, yes. the army and finally after several months i talked to my parents they told me okay we only give you the permission, so you ju- you just go and some place you working in office, just translating the document and something like nice. And I want you be safe. <laughs> I say as well, I'm not gonna promise, but I'm gonna do my best. So they they let me go, and 
it was my <laughs> unlock because the first uh, assignment I had with the QRF team, like quick recruitment force. Mm-hmm. So the team was like any bad things happening on that area. So my team was the first team, the front line. We had to go rolling that area, securing the area, and the rest, the rest of the teams they coming to check out what's happening. Yeah. So it was challenging because I was a kid. And I didn't yeah, know. you're still a teenager. Exactly. Note to everyone, <laughs> he's still a teenager. Yeah, he's like, not trained in the Afghani military. Exactly. He's not trained, yeah. So, like, <laughs> the missions we were, like, we had the U.S. Uh, uh, forces uh, with the Afghan forces. Yeah. And I was the person making connection between two forces and translating with the, for the civilian people to uh, to say what's happening to U.S. Army. And, like, they were trained. They had a gun. I had a gun. I the only things I just I had to wear the uniform and mm-hmm. I had to some uh, put it my backpack, so put some staff water and just it. My weapon was my language. I mm-hmm. had to translate correctly, accurate to make as much possible to best place safe. And I well, did my and best. the pressure on that. Think about the pressure of that because if you misspeak or mistranslate. It's life or death, exactly. correct? Exactly. Like many, many uh, operations, we, we were uh, dealing with the operations. Like I had two uh, camera. like whenever they are calling me and they were telling me I had cell phone, I had to translate on time. Like I remember one operation, so like, so they were calling me on the uh, cell phone, the, like I think five or ten miles away. They were sending me the... GPS coordinations, the U.S. Afghan troops, and I had to exactly translate to just convert it to English and t- translate it to my team. And they are sending the the the, the motors, they are sending the troops, they are sending the uh, jet to just bombarding that place. Oh my goodness! And I had to be really careful to not miss. If I'm gonna miss one zero point right they're gonna kill they're gonna kill innocent people exactly it was so stressful challenging for me <sighs> but like for me like sometime we were just uh with the chinook or the uh, uh the other uh, uh, with the other helicopter so we just drop in the mountains to go walking with the closest the village and secure the village and like we were sometime i bl- i remember we were two weeks on mountains Without shower, without like real food, we just had to eat uh, MRE, uh, a meal ready for it. Yeah. With the troops and with the water, we had to sleep at night and then with the uh, the sleeping bag. So it was hard. It was hard. But the good thing is for me, I believe my country is going to forward. My country is going to get a better situation. Right. But it was good. I the feeling like when I saw the people, they were n- in need. We were trying to help them. We were trying to make a secure place. Yes. And it's, it's meaning a lot to me on that time. Uh, but it was challenging for me. Like like every, not every day, maybe sometime I was receiving some threat phone call. They were receiving unknown people. And they would say, hey, this is you. And we found you. You are working with the U.S. Army. Like we are Taliban. If we're going to find you, we're You are receiving them. these calls. Yes, Absolutely. And my family, they were receiving the same things. They were sending later to my house. And my father, they were telling me, hey, what? What's this? And they are sending some trade later to me. And they are after you? I said, well, yes. But what should I do? 
and like I I couldn't go like my uh, my home like every month. Like I had to go my home visit my parents after five or six months just for two weeks. Unknown person. Like I didn't want other people know I'm going back home because I knew it. The you people, don't want to draw are, the target. Exactly. Yeah. They were after me. So it was hard. And so the the times come. So like I applied for, I started working with the U.S. Army in 2009. And I left at the U.S. Army in 2012. Like three years I worked it. I, I thought I'm done. Yeah. One time I, I injured in the in the mission. You were injured? So, yes. One w- one month I could not hear. Uh, so my I lost my hearing. Wow. I was in hospital, but the good thing is, thanks to God, so I recover. Wow. I get well, and I just thought, okay, the next time maybe I'm gonna go die. I say, so okay. you went back to it despite yes. losing your hearing temporarily. Yes. I didn't quit the mission that time, yeah. and after that uh, uh, injury, so I continue my job for another year, and I thought, okay, so I'm done now. So I started working with another projects to. Uh, empower the woman so i thought that's another important area so i can support the my people Mm -hmm. so but 2012 i i passed my visa interview with the u.s embassy because i was working with the u.s army and i applied and they accepted and i passed it and i thought i'm going to united states very soon but 2012 uh, i passed my visa interview 2013 14 15 it happened. It didn't happen something. I, I did not hear from the U.S. Embassy because I was in trade. I was in great risk trade my life, and I was not able to live with my parents. I had to live in another unknown location. Isolated. It, did you feel so isolated? Yeah, yeah. It, it was really challenging. Like, for me, sometimes I was thinking, maybe never, ever I'm going to United States. But this is the reality situation in my life here. Yeah. I have to live as a unknown person because I was working with the U.S. Army. Yeah. And there still are many, many people who are left behind, I believe. Yes. And they are not able to come to the United States for many reasons. Yes. So I pray for that people. They can come to the United States or some country yeah. to safe place. Yes. So 2016, so I want to just give you this, uh, my Short story. So 2016, me and my wife, we came to United States. Oh, so you met your wife there? Yes. And you came together? Yes. Got yes. it. So here's the thing. Like, <laughs> so. He's smiling <laughs> so big. So, <laughs> I love that. I love love stories. So in the second August 2016, we married officially. Mm-hmm. And we had a big ceremony, like celebration, marriage. And, and 26th August 2016, like five days later, so we start traveling to the United States. Oh my goodness, that's a honeymoon. Yes. <sighs> so when we uh, get our visa, we start traveling to the United States. So we came with thousands hope. We thought we are coming to a best place in the world. Yeah. We our dreams comes true. Yeah. And we were so happy, and we didn't know what's the reality behind this. The time we we landed in the United States, so my wife she asked me, "Hey, Joa, so we are here. What's the next?" I says, "Well, I don't know. <laughs> Just walk through this gate to see what's happening." Yeah, it, it was uh, stressful for me, stressful for my wife because we had no connection. 
We didn't know who is coming to visit us or somebody coming to airport pick up us or we just wait here to just waiting for somebody going to call us and we had no idea. The good thing is when we get down of the escalator, so a people, some people, they were hanging a sign. They say, welcome to United States, Jawad. <gasps> and the people I never saw in my life. Who were these people? How did they know? How did this happen? So I just uh-huh. come to the, those people and say, well, this is Jawad and this is um, this is my wife. And they said, okay, welcome tonight. They said, we are good neighbor team from the World of Office. So we are here to welcome you. We're going to take you to your apartment. I want to cry. And uh, it was really meaningful to me, like, for those people, I never met them. They were for me. They they pack our staff. They say, hey, don't worry. You're welcome. And you are part of our nation. No. Thank you for your services. And it's meaning a lot to me. I say, oh, my God. Thank you. <sighs> so when we came to our apartment, we saw a nice apartment. They set up all the things. All we for needed. you guys. Yes. me For me and my wife. And I said, oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. And <sighs> it was one of those people member, like Kerry Ham with uh, his wife. Really? So they were part of the team. And uh. still, we, we, we were friends. We are friends. We will be friends. And uh, Kerry's wife, Sherry Ham, she is the best person I ever see in my life. And she is really important and meaning to, my, to me and my wife because she's a good friend of my wife. Oh. She's, she were coming to my house for each week to assisting and help my wife to learn the language. And still she is coming, but not like ma- as much they were coming to my house. So it was really good. The feeling, good. But when the times like I'm seeing, so it wasn't really smooth and easy right. because I, I may say, put myself, I know the language. I was working yes. and I have the ability to get work very soon. Yes. But for now, I don't think so. It's going to happen or this is the reality for all families. Correct. Some families, they have no language. They are not really connected with their volunteers and they are still facing with the problems. Yeah. So I wish, I pray for all people who are coming to the United States, they can see the value and they are feeling welcome to this country. Yes. So in 2017, I... I just working in this office as a volunteer for a few months. And af- after that, I came as a contractor to drive the families, to assisting the other families. So I I was really uh, happy to assisting my own fa- friend, uh, friends and the people who are coming from Afghanistan or yeah. different people. Yeah. Like they are in need. Yes. I was assisting them. And in 2018, so I become as a uh, official member of this team, like become as a staff. So my title was a cultural advisor to assisting more my people to let them know. So what's the reality? How they can work here? How they can put the effort here to uh, achieve their dreams? Wow. So it's still I'm going to like when sometime. So I'm the person I'm going to airport itself to welcome the families yeah like i thought oh well so i want to pack put back those services i received 
I want to give this chance to other families who yes. are coming to the United States. This is the great time. I want to say thank you for those all people who are si- put their name as a volunteer. They are coming to my office or different office. Just they want to serve the human. They want yes. to serve the people who are coming to this country. And it's believe me, this is really meaningful to people. Yes. Like they feel disconnected and they are seeing the people they never saw in their life. Mm-hmm. But they become a friend. Yeah. So like some night we are uh, receiving some multiple families at one night and we are having some uh, volunteers and they bring the waters, snacks, sign and they're so oh. kind people. I and they just it. say, hey, Joa, let's welcome this family tonight. Yeah. And we just welcoming the families. Sometimes the families are crying. Yeah. Because they're saying, hey, Joa, we didn't know you are so kind. We didn't know who are coming to visit us. We didn't know who are coming to the airport. The first face I'm seeing in this yeah. airport, the American people, yeah. the volunteers. That's a meaningful. And I'm really appreciated those people. Yes. Oh, I... I'm overwhelmed by the beauty of that. And you said it, Jawad, perfectly. You said they're coming to meet another human being and say, welcome, I see you, I hear you, I want you here. We're so excited to know you and welcome you into our community. We're human beings who need connection and community. Wherever we are, whoever we are, and it doesn't matter gender, creed, um, national heritage, none of that matters because we're human beings who just want to connect and, and be in community with others. And that's what I love about what you guys do. I mean, it's about, okay, how can we all come around and bring you into the fold and make you a part of our community? You know, so... uh, Jawad, is there anything else that you go, okay, this is on my heart. This is what people don't get or don't know that I want people to understand from the bottom of my soul. Is there something that just is with you right now that you go, I, I want people to understand this? Uh, so <laughs> there, there are so many things. I don't want to really uh, talk a lot, but the first things I I want to defend SIV people who were working US, with the U.S. Army, mm-hmm. who were supporting the U.S. troops back in Afghanistan, Iraq, for those countries. Like, always, so like, we were put our life in great risk to support. Yeah. Absolutely, yes, we were definitely supporting our country, yes. but we were hoping to came a better place to United States with dreams, a lot of dreams, and making a good future for our kids. That's right. And I... Like, if you're asking some people, like, your people, whenever they're receiving, welcoming U.S. soldiers, they are coming from, de- from deployment. Mm-hmm. So definitely people, they are seeing the soldiers as a hero. Yeah. Welcoming hero. Yeah. But does all people see SIV people who were in the battle, who were in operation, who were s- serving the U.S. Army back in Afghanistan, coming to this country as a hero? Right. This is something left behind. I I do appreciate the United States. I do appreciate the people. They are so kind. They are welcoming us. But it might be something we may receive more 
we may value more mm -hmm. for those people who were serving U.S. Army back in Afghanistan. Let me tell you another quick story. Please, please. So I remember 2010, we were in operation back in Afghanistan in Kandahar. Uh, I think it was in uh, uh, Argandab uh, district. So we were at Enbosh. So the Taliban, they were attacking us, like hundreds of Taliban. And they were so close by uh, to our team. And I could hear them, so they were telling each other, don't kill them. We want to capture them alive. Arrest you them could alive. hear this? Yes. They were so close. And we were with the U.S. Army, with my team. We were with the U.S. Uh, Afghan Army. And we were fighting. We were fighting to survive. Like, we were requesting jet to back up, and they supporting us. That because it takes few minutes they, they come to support it. But it was hard. But I hadn't gone. <sighs> A person who was my best friend, Ali Reza. So he was come to me. He was Afghan army. He, he says, hey, Jawad, are you scared? I said, yes, I am scared. They are coming closer and closer. They are killing us. I said, hey, Jawad, as long as I am breathing, as long as I am alive, you will be safe. Wow. I felt, oh, my God, thank you. And we survived it. <sighs> For that mission, we survived it. Absolutely. Some of our uh, friends uh, injured. Some of the people they killed, we survived it. Like last year, it was the story I'm telling you, it was 2010. And last year, I saw a news on uh, Facebook. Ali Reza was died in Afghanistan in mission. The person who gave me hope, mm. the person who protected me in 2010, he told me, hey, Joel, as long as I'm alive, you'll be okay. And last year, I saw his post. His brother posts on Facebook, mm. says Ali Reza died in Afghanistan. Mm. Ali Reza died with the U.S. Army in battle. It's meaning a lot to me. Yeah. There are many people they are lifting behind. There are many people they are serving U.S. Army and fighting against terrorism, yeah. but they are struggling to find a safe place. Yeah. So this is kind of my message to people who are listening to me. I want to thank you, guys. Thank mm. you for supporting the Yufuji. Thank you supporting for those people who are coming to this country. And the beauty is here, like whenever you're walking, nobody gonna point it out. You're not from this country. Yeah. You're a refugee. You are part of this country. And you're not in a feeling you're not connected to this country. This is I love about the United States. I'm much appreciated for all people who are American supporting refugee and like being as a human, mm -hmm. just respect each other. Oh. Is there anything else to possibly say? I, I, I'm anyone who knows me knows I'm never rendered speechless, but I'm speechless, and all I can say is my absolute heart thanks you. I, I feel I've gained in I've not only gained a new friend, but I just these this is the kind of human being I want to surround myself with right here. Yeah. These are the kind of people that I go. I feel honored to call my friend and to say we're in community together and we're serving together. And, um, I just, I thank you for your service. I thank you for, I thank you for, is it Aziz? Am I saying that right? Your friend's name? Ali Reza. Ali. Ali Reza. I, I just, I think I'm thankful for him and his sacrifice. And there are so many. And I thank you for giving that voice and, and sharing another person's story and 
and just for the risks you took and and the things you now bring to this to this life and to this world and now bringing children into this world and what a gift that is and raising these incredible human beings to have heart and integrity and character and I just it's you ooze heart character and integrity and um I'm just grateful so thank you for doing that Vanessa you want to wrap us up with your thoughts I do I'm so grateful for Jawad sharing his story and Sacramento is such a unique context of special immigration visa holders coming those as he said who put their lives at risk and Ali Reza was waiting for his SIV status to come through right he was waiting so again that idea of immediacy no matter the context whether it is um, our refugee neighbors in Afghanistan who are serving our troops or those in a camp Mm -hmm. um, they're waiting and we have the ability to welcome them and that is what's so disheartening right now on the national level yeah is we have capacity and we used to lead the world in this and now we have fallen behind and it's so simple too, as Jawad said, to, and it's free in some ways to make someone feel welcome, to show up and say, yes. you're here. I'm so glad you're here. And that is what there are just, there are so many ways to come into the work. Um, and as he said, like whether you're serving alongside troops or whether you have just been in a backdrop of violence most of your life because that is the situation whether you're in an unstable country in South America um, in Africa in Afghanistan in Syria mm-hmm. again these are not choices that are made lightly these are people that are seeking safety yeah so yeah I just I think about that and then again the small ways that America can continue its legacy of welcome I just have one more story of the woman who sought asylum here uh, won her case and she and her husband got on public transportation in Sacramento and they had not bought their tickets at the kiosk as you're supposed to and she just assumed from her experiences in other countries she was they were going to get talking to or laid into or thrown off the bus because that was something she had witnessed um, that wasn't a strange thing you know kind of a more violent aggressive approach and instead the conductor went up to her and said oh let me help you Uh, and that's it's so simple it's so simple it can be so simple and America can be so wonderful in that sense of that welcome yes and that helpfulness and We don't know somebody's story and what they're going through and what a sign at the airport that says welcome Jawad can mean Mm -hmm. or what a kind conductor helping you buy your ticket for the first time on public transportation can mean. So even if it's also as listeners are thinking, how, what do I do? Yes. Just start by showing up and being kind Be to kind. your neighbor. Yeah, or that person who's merging on the freeway and they're a little slow, a little slower than to your liking. You know what? You don't need to get all road ragey and throw some really rude gestures and looks their way. You know what? Give them a smile. Give them a wave. Or I was just picturing someone in a grocery store trying to figure out their money and taking a little extra time. And you're the person behind them. And 
give them that smile and instead of that grumble, like I'm in a hurry, I got to get home to, you know, I I think about small things. We as human beings, just, we are relating to another human being. We don't know their experience and it's not hard. It's beautiful and wonderful to be kind kind (laughs) and to be, yeah, to show grace. Well, and as Jawad said, his wife and Carrie's wife, um, built a relationship and it was small things of Sherry taking her to the store and learn what these new items were. And because again, we take for granted that we walk into a place of commerce and we know what's what, and we can read everything. And women in our literacy classes who are learning to say, you know, write their names in a new language and learning to purchase goods for them to make for them to then sell and that sense of empowerment. But these start with really small interactions of kindness and really small, just extending that olive branch. And it's a process. I'm so grateful. Carrie, you want to add one more thing? Yeah, Jennifer, you know, what, what struck me as I was listening to the stories and to Vanessa and to you is this, the one thing I want to tell your listeners is the stories are real. Yeah. Uh, you heard that from Jawad. You heard it from Vanessa. And, and I've had the ability, the opportunity, both from working here, being on our southern border and looking people in the eye. I visited World Relief's work in uh, northern Jordan on the Syrian border. And, and the stories are very real. And what we do at World Relief is bring people the opportunity to see those and come into relationship Mm -hmm. and have that empathy. So whether it's one of the situations that you heard today or that person on the freeway, we give the opportunity for empathy. If you come and you volunteer at World Relief or if you want to donate, you're not donating to a program that does an after-school session for children in Sacramento you are helping the community come together. Yes. And so that's really what we're about. It's not about World Relief's programs. It's about both communities. The story is real. We are numb, and it's bringing that numbness and making it real. And so right. that's really what we want to do. And, and you've gotten a taste of it today. Yes. And so earlier when I said, why would people do this? It's yeah. because they've seen and they've known and if more people would see and know those terms wouldn't be complicated mm-hmm. they'd turn into names yes thank you guys so much i really appreciate you all jawad vanessa carrie thank you thank you thank you listen for real is produced in rockland california and is edited and mixed with the help of marky b our music entitled zero is created and performed by the amazing Shannon Curtis. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and we will see you next time.